Welcome to the For Fox Sake podcast, by the fans, for the fans. With all the news, views and discussion from two lifelong Leicester City supporters. It's your show, so get in contact, make yourselves heard, what's your opinion? The only Leicester City podcast that's by the fans, for the fans. This is For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby and alongside me over the airwaves is Rob Hayes. Rob, how are you? Uh, If you'd have asked me after a couple of previous results, I'd have been pretty pleased. If you're asking me right now can't believe the situation that we're about to discuss why what's what's happened what what's wrong rob i i have i don't know i i've 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 forgotten what happened yesterday um would you care to inform me yes let me let me clear this up we're recording on monday the 13th of july 2020 um and it's probably been best part of 10 days since we last did a podcast a lot of football has happened since then. The last time we got together, we had um, played out what you described as the worst non-loss in Leicester City's, well, in your history of following Leicester against Brighton. All right, and since then, apart from losing to Everton, things kind of look back on track. 3-0 against Palace um, and a one-all draw against Arsenal where we've notoriously struggled over the past 40-odd, 50-odd years, whatever. We're sitting here the day after Leicester City were leading Bournemouth 1-0 at half-time. Bournemouth, reminder, 19th in the table when the game's kicked off. Fast forward 45 minutes, we lose 4-1. Then, this morning, Monday morning, Manchester City's European ban gets overturned. So now you need to finish in the top four to qualify for the Champions League. And we are outside of the top of the top three for the first time since September. Tell me something I've got to be cheerful about. <laughs> well, you are indeed correct with the time and the dates. And also, as we're recording, Manchester United are playing at home against Southampton. Everyone, when they listen to this, they will know the results. And at the moment, it's 2-1 to Manchester United. You're um, joking, it was one the- all when we started two minutes ago. It was. It's now 2-1, but there we go. Um, and also, I do have a, a few quid on 4-4. So if it ends 4-4, then uh, <laughs> happy days are here again. But anyway, it's... Um, I, <laughs> I, did, I did the usual thing. You know, we, we we contacted each other yesterday or this morning, said, look, pod tonight because of people's work, etc. And can, can we do this tonight? Yes. And then... I've basically sat this afternoon and and wrote a few things down. I'm not angry as I was against Brighton. I'm st- I'm going to go back to that Brighton game and I will do because that is where it all started from, you know, for me it really is. That's the crucial game in all this. Um it's it, it's when you were when you were younger and your folks said, "Oh, we're not angry, we're just disappointed and it hurts more." And and that's the way it was because a single game, a single defeat to any side in the Premier League is, I won't say acceptable, but you can accept a poor performance every now and again. But from being in the position they're in, to throw it away in such comical style and a lack of what I'll list in a second, 
it it was just a complete disaster. You're completely right, Rob, with getting back on some kind of wavelength with the 3-0 win against Palace, even though Lest still weren't back. They, they still weren't back, but they got the three points, which, to be honest, at the moment, it, that's all that matters. Um, and then it was a disappointing defeat at, at Everton. The draw at Arsenal was a good point in the end. It was a good point against an improving Arsenal side who I thought played quite well, and but I thought Leicester also were decent. But it's it's all about this game at at, um, at Bournemouth, and, and the first thing really, Rob, is I would normally sit here and go fair play to Bournemouth. You know, they 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 really played well. They hustled and harried us, and they fought for their lives, and they wanted it more. But to be honest. I don't think that's the case. I really don't. Because at half-time, we were in control of the game, one up, playing all right against a side who have just looked devoid of all confidence. And then they have monumentally imploded as a collective. An absolutely crazy collapse. The whole team imploded from the manager uh, with decisions in terms of subs and formation change uh, through individual errors, you look at say Kasper Schmeichel, um, Soyuncu with with the red card. It was just an all round disaster. Um, a collapse in concentration, in shape, in individual personal responsibility, in any awareness whatsoever of the situation of where the club is in the league table, of where they are on the field, and also. It looked very lazy, and it's just to be honest. You, again, you're looking at half of a game of football, and you can excuse bit things, but you can't. This this was some deep rooted that we don't know about. Some some big problems in that squad. Now, whether it's the fact that they are monumentally unfit, or whether they're just absolutely not good enough. And we 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 do rely on Chilwell and Ricardo and Madison more than maybe we thought, and maybe that's the case. Maybe there's something that's happened behind the scenes in the last twenty four forty eight hours. Um, who knows? But you do not collapse like that in the Premier League when looking to be a Champions League side. You you just don't do that. Again, any side can lose to anyone on their day. We know what those defeats look like. We were the side who beat the big boys in those kind of games. We know what that looks like. This was not one of those games. It it just wasn't at all. It was a total capitulation from a position, especially because we were in a position of such control and such command. The first half, Bournemouth never got near us. We were playing whatever kind of football we liked. They looked lightweight. They looked like they were a team already consigned to relegation, probably because of the Aston Villa result earlier in the day. Um, you know, Aston Villa had leapfrogged Bournemouth into 18th place and just about kept touch with, you know, Watford, West Ham above them. So Bournemouth came into that on a terrible run of results, if you take out the, the draw that they got against Tottenham. Um and the first half reflected that we, if you, if you'd have taken form and everything else out of it, we were the we were the side that was in the top four. They were the side that was in the bottom three, and it looked exactly like that. Regardless of what we make of Leicester's shape, which I think we'll talk about in more detail in a little while, um, regardless of anything like that, we were on top. Now the problem was, 
Um, and I was I was trying to help my mum get the game on pick on Freeview because they've gone on holiday and she was trying to get it in this holiday home and well, technology and middle aged people, you know. Um, and I said to her, I texted her at half time, "Have you got the game on? We're one nil up, but we definitely, definitely need another goal because I felt at some point Bournemouth have got to realise it's do or die. It is either we come out fighting in the next forty five minutes or we're relegated." And that is what Brendan Rodgers must have thought at half-time to have the idea to take Ian Acho off and bring Dennis Pratt on. Now, if we see that game out 1-0, then you say that that was a well-judged half-time substitution. And managers are judged by the effect and the impact of their substitutions. Did bringing Ian Acho off and Pratt on contribute directly to us losing 4-1? No. But what it did do... In, in my eyes, in the early stages of the second half, was allow Bournemouth to start playing a little bit more. Having Vardy and Iheanacho up top, with Perez so advanced as well, really stopped Bournemouth from playing, because if they're playing it around the defence, fine. If you can then go and press, good. But they had no way of playing it into their midfield. And with three centre-backs marking two forwards, you always backed us to, to deal with anything long or high. More on that in a minute in terms of one of the goals. But we should have had no problem whatsoever in seeing that game out. Now, Bournemouth came and gave us a little bit of stick in the first five or ten minutes in the second half, yeah. They didn't come and absolutely bombard us or overwhelm us or force us into capitulation. What happened was a quick-fire double of awful errors of judgment, or errors technically, from which we never looked capable of recovering. That's the worrying part. All right, Schmeichel makes the mistake with the goal kick, which Sky Sports kept calling a clearance. I'm like, it wasn't a clearance. If he's misjudged, mishit a clearance under pressure or from a moving ball, you could forgive it a little bit more. He's trying to be too clever from a goal kick and he's thumped it at the back of Ndidi. It's an error from a goalkeeper who has single-handedly won us countless points over countless seasons. And as the captain, he's come out and hold it, held his hands up. Fine. All right, but then to not reassert your control on the game straight away was an error. To then get caught out so easily for the second goal, and then for Soyuncu to completely see red when all Callum Wilson's done is followed the ball in to make sure it goes over the line, and then accidentally fallen into him and fallen into the net is just a ridiculous, ridiculous thing to do. But he, he's always looked like he's had it in him. Hasn't he? He's, he's quite. He's very much on the front foot. He's very much. I want to get stuck into everything, and he's he's all or nothing. And that was just ridiculous. But still, from two one, even with ten men, we should still have been able to regain some kind of control. And as Brendan Rodgers says, mentality and rhythm and whatever else rubbish he comes out with sometimes that's semi scripted pretty much all the time. At 2-1, we should still have been able to get back into that game. Do you agree, Pete, with 10 men? We should still have had the ability and the, to coin a Brendan Rodgers phrase, mentality to get back into it. Well, we should have given him a game, even at 2-1 down 10 men. But I, I would go to Rodgers first up because we've been critical regarding Rodgers and substitutions during this period. And the news that five subs is going to continue next year first up, would be worrying for me because it's an aspect which I've been critical especially and I don't think they've performed very well. I thought they would be a bit more imaginative 
and next season they really will have to be. Uh, to, to the point of, if you look at, say, rugby, and the way that rugby teams now in the second half make so many subs, and they will bring on maybe a whole new front row, for example, that's the sort of thing that I'll probably expect next season, where you would bring on, say, three players, even four players, at one time, completely change the forward line, for example, rather than just one, have maybe... A, a, a set of forwards on the field and after 60 minutes instead of just one player rotating a la um, Ujoa coming on for Shinji Okazaki back in the day maybe having the front three changing after an hour that's there's going to be a whole new set of tactics and, 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 and ways of using those five subs next season um, I think when you mentioned it I don't think it had any effect the, the substitution I think it did I think it was a I can understand why, and you said it straight away, um, I can understand why if we hang on to a 1-0 win or we win 1-0, you look back and go, okay, solid substitution. But you've got to play 45 minutes. Uh, was Iniacho having a really good game? Not really. But was he effective? Well, he is effective. And even though he nearly stumbled over the ball, he, he, he somewhat set up the goal. But... I, I just felt it was a, a, an error, and and this is by no means hindsight. It was, at the time, thinking, hang on, that's quite a big change when you're winning 1-0. Do it when you're 2-0 up. We're not good enough to hold on to the lead at the moment. We don't have a full team out, um, so the ability to keep hold of the ball isn't there as it would be with a full team. So I thought that was just a big call, maybe being a bit big-headed, Maybe being thinking that they're better than they are, um, I thought I just thought it was a very strange and, and straight away thought it's got to be an injury. Turns out it wasn't, so I think that was a, a huge error. And again, after the game, it's easy to say that, but there you go. That's that's the way things work. But it it, it was crazy, absolutely crazy. So Chu, yeah, saw red, and then saw red. He's got that in him. We all know, but it. I said before, personal responsibility. Bang. Out for three games the rest of the season. He knew that. And he's apologised on social media. I don't care. Um, that's that's an easy thing to put out. It was just a complete disaster. What Fuchs was doing for for the for that goal, no idea. It was slightly unlucky with it coming off um, Evans for deflection. But they were so deep. And Leicester straight away in that second half, they sat back. And you knew it was coming. And and you shouted at TV just like don't do this. This is what teams do after seventy minutes or eighty minutes. They got you know you generally do sit back slightly, but straight away after half time that's what happened. And again, we could highlight individual things and 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 fans and supporters of the club and 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 people who have listened to the podcast over the years. They they would have they know all this. They've they've seen the game and they've they've been arguing the same points and they've been moaning to family and friends and people at work or whatever um about this. But at the moment, even though it might sound a bit ridiculous, I'm looking at the league table right now, and again it's all about finishing in the top four. By hook or by crook, by getting points when you don't deserve it, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And it might actually not made any difference because if we drew that game or we won that game, even if we hung on to a 1-0 win, at the moment there's no way we're going to get anything against Manchester United. And looking at it now, even if we won 1-0 and we held on in that second half, for example, 
the way Sheffield United have got back onto an even track and, and the balance of their side and the way that they're playing in the last couple of games, I know we're kind of jumping forward to what we think is going to happen on Thursday. You ask me right now, who's going to? do you think Leicester are going to win on, on Thursday? Absolutely not. No way. No way. I think we're up against it. I'll be amazed if we get a draw. I can see it being an away win. I think that will be, in betting terms, a fabulous bet. So, overall... They've got no one else to blame apart for themselves, and that's everyone. You know, the management team is is not um, beyond criticism in this because they've put the team out. They've got a one nil again. If you look at it on this basis, they've picked the formation, they've picked the team, and they've sent them out there, and they've played well. And at half time, you're winning one nil, and then you make changes. Why? 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 That's that for me is 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 a big problem. Subs afterwards, big issue again. Not making enough, not trying to change things. I would say to try and get back into the game, you might as well lose four one rather than you know by by risking the game and trying to get back into it. They didn't risk and they still lost four one, but they still didn't make uh, as many changes as, as maybe they should have or could have. So overall, it was a right cluster of you know what and. And, and and there we go. And it's not that we're saying we are rubbish. <laughs> because if you go on social media or you listen to some people, oh yeah, Leicester are rubbish. No, they're not. The game before, they played very well at Arsenal, I thought, and possibly could have even got a win in that game. And we know how good a team Leicester are when they've got their full team out and they're playing well. They are genuine top four challengers. They are, and we know that. But... Since the restart, they've been dreadful. And I will go back to that Brighton game because that's when the alarm bells were ringing big time. And, and I've had people say, oh, I think you're maybe a bit over the top with that Brighton game. Nah, nah, because that was, an, that was a game they should have pinpointed. We were so far clear of foot, a fifth place, let alone anything to do with Manchester City and courts in Switzerland and whoever. We were so far clear of fifth place and even... With three games to go, after being dreadful, it's still in our hands. We could beat Sheffield United on Thursday. We could then go to Tottenham on Sunday and win. And then you play Manchester United on the final day at home and beat Manchester United and we will finish in the top four. So it just shows you how far clear we were, which is why it was so important to get off to that good start, which we didn't. Um, There we go. (laughs) It's it's difficult to to swallow, isn't it? And and, and it's obviously a, a, a better idea that we're doing this twenty four hours after the game, um, because we have had a little bit of a chance to take stock and and we've been sort of able to digest the um, the comments made by the likes of Brendan Rogers, Casper Schmeichel, even Soyuncu. Um But the 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 problem for me is is not the season overall and when you look back on this um this season in in years ahead you will look at whatever points tally we achieve and, and hopefully whatever position we achieve and say ah very good season one of the best in the modern era that that depends on obviously the next 3 games but that's the kind of thing we're still looking at so bigger picture please don't if you're tuning in for the first time you might not understand where we're coming from here we're reacting to the the um, Bournemouth game and the the current 
run of form, current decisions, current mistakes, etc., current results. Season overall, we will talk about in our traditional end of season review. But right now, we're we're in a bit of a a bit of a negative slump. I say a bit, um, ironically, kind of. Um, but the problem is, if you're looking at our final three fixtures, yes, they're all in our hands. However, it's against Sheffield United, who after I you, obviously uh, I live in Sheffield now, and a lot of people that I know up here are United fans, so they felt like they were in the same boat as us when the Premier League restarted in the sense that they were carrying a lot of momentum and that had got halted abruptly and they didn't think they'd be able to get back up to speed and they had a couple of iffy results to start with. But they've quickly re-established what works for them, what's effective for them in winning games in the Premier League. And I think they've had an outstanding season, by the way. And they've got pretty much straight back into it after a couple of iffy games. Now, the problem for Leicester is... They're still really straddling around for the form pre-Christmas, let's be perfectly honest, because the second half of the season's been nowhere near as good as the first half of the season. So Sheffield United only had to go back a couple of months to to go back to a system that had been working really well for them and worked really well for them in the championship the season before. And they're obviously playing with less pressure than Leicester because whatever you say about the size of the clubs and Leicester's recent... Well, I say recent, Leicester's ever lack of success really, we shouldn't have as high expectations as we do, but it's only natural that the direction the club's going in, we have higher expectations, so maybe there's a bit more pressure that way, but Sheffield United are a very, very, very good side. Spurs, if you'd have asked me in the first half of the North London derby, I'd have said, oh yeah, bring them on. They look much better after that, and Mourinho's always, well, not always, but quite often got a way of getting a result. So that's not an easy game at all. And United are unstoppable at the minute. They go a goal down to Southampton tonight, and then within the blink of an eye, they're 2-1 up. They are scoring goals for fun. I think that they've set a new record for most consecutive games won with X amount of goals scored. So they're scoring freely. And there's every chance that we could lose all three of our last games. I know this is all hypothetical, but if we do, we could finish eighth. Which we didn't we didn't leave the top three between September and now. I'm looking, Rob. I'm looking at the league table now in front of me, and we're in big danger, really, of not qualifying for Europe at all because it's down to sixth place, the Europa League. And if you're Sheffield United, you're looking at Leicester, and Sheffield United are five points behind Leicester, and they're thinking if we win on Thursday. Five turns into two. Leicester have got two then difficult games. We can then get up into that sixth place as it would be. Um, Tottenham, not without a shout of doing that as well. It's, yeah, oh yeah, we're, we're in bang trouble, Rob, of not going to deepest Kazakhstan or wherever in September in, in Europa League. And don't get, <laughs> I would love the Europa League because when was the last time that Leicester in Europe? Champions League after winning the Premier League. When was the last time we were in Europe before that? Well, you go all the way back to Atletico Madrid um, in, what, the year 2000? Yeah, 2000, 2001 season. So Europa League would be a big thing. But we're in a lot of danger here of, of missing out on everything. And we have to play on. The reset for next season will happen. There will be a postseason. It will be short. There will be... 
a small preseason. There will be signings, but at the moment, it's all about playing on and scrapping for those results. And who knows what can happen against Sheffield United. Leicester could turn up and fly out of the traps and beat Sheffield United, and we could then look forward to the game against Tottenham. But this game will throw up bigger issues. If Even if we beat Sheffield United and we play against Spurs, say, and we beat Spurs and then we play United and maybe miss out on Champions League but finish fifth and qualify for the Europa League, for example, let's just say that happens. At the end of the season, we'll still come back to this game and go, how did it go so wrong? And and the underlying problems that it it highlights in the side. Now, we knew beforehand that the first 11 away from that, you had three or four players behind the first 11 who were more than decent. But away from that, they don't have the big squad. I think this really does prove it as well. So, And that's all for a rainy day. That's all for the end of the season. What do we do from here? It's It's just about getting those three points. It's a real shame that Manchester City... The ban hasn't been upheld and they're, they're going to um, be able to play in Europe because fifth place would have been fine. Even if in, I don't know, years to come or even months and weeks, people would have turned around and said, oh, you know, yeah, you only got there because clubs, doesn't matter. If you qualify for the Champions League, you qualify through whatever means that you can. And if it's given to you for fifth place, then fine. And I know trying to predict the outcome of leagues and how teams are going to play, etc., um, is difficult and it doesn't always work out with big signings. But I think you'd be in a very, very small group of people who would look at the current teams in the Premier League towards the top of the Premier League and who wouldn't agree with looking at, away from the top two, looking at how Manchester United are playing. Are they going to be better next season? It really does look like it. They look like they're flying and they look like they're going to be a lot stronger next year. You look at Chelsea. They've made signings already. Are they going to improve? You'd think so, but they're going to be in that top four conversation. And then away from that, Wolves. Um, maybe Sheffield United might drop down, Tottenham, Arsenal. It's, is it going to be more difficult for a side to qualify for the Champions League, which is what we're aiming for at the moment and, and for next season still? It, will it be more difficult to get in the top four next season than this season? As you sit here right now, you'd probably say yes. That would be the more logical answer. And it doesn't always work out that way. And I'd imagine most seasons you would say yes, because you're always looking forward and thinking things are going to improve, but then you go through the seasons and it doesn't quite work out that way. But that's what I'd imagine people will be saying now. So this is an absolute golden opportunity. You go back to the previous podcast where we highlighted in, in some, some detail really the finances at Leicester and and what an impact this would make playing Champions League football and especially with the current situation in the world right now. The difference between those with Champions League football and those without is even greater and also you throw into a club the size of Leicester it would be even more of a bonus. So there's all that and we're not going to go into it again because we went into quite a bigger detail last time. The fact that we called our previous episodes sleepwalking because sleepwalking into a final four-game dash, well, it's now a three-game dash and it's still to play for. And we'll wait and see. Um, hold on to your hats, kids. This is, what we, this is what we said last time. And I know we talk a lot of nonsense sometimes, but we've got this one bang right because they've sleptwalked into this and uh, whether sleptwalked is actually a proper 
proper word, but we're going to go with it. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean we, we've done to death that game against Bournemouth. You look forward to the games coming up, okay? We're not going to do a podcast in between Sheffield United and Tottenham. And I'd imagine we'll do one after Tottenham before the final game of the season. So probably something like this time next week. So we'll take in Tottenham as well. That's going to be a very difficult game. To try and predict the game and to try and talk about it is slightly awkward because it absolutely 100% rides on what happens at the King Power on Thursday. Um, I want to know your thoughts, Rob, because I, sitting here right now, I don't think we'll beat Sheffield United. I would go for a Sheffield United win. And also, I would possibly go for a Sheffield United win, maybe even slightly comfortable as well. Um, Because if they score first... What effect is that going to have on this side? Because at the moment, and after what happened in the previous game, compare it to Arsenal scoring first and the way Leicester reacted. I think if Sheffield United score fairly early at the King Power on Thursday, this side could really unravel again. Yeah, I totally agree. If if you were if we were traditional Leicester sitting somewhere, say, say late 90s Leicester sitting somewhere in mid-table and not really being uh, concerned with the race for European football. And we were looking at this from a neutral's point of view, the, the game on Thursday against Sheffield United. And you see what happened to the, to the team yesterday in the 4-1 defeat to Bournemouth. Uh, and you would absolutely, you'd be a fool to bet on Leicester beating Sheffield United on Thursday. So if we take off our ever so slightly blue-tinted spectacles, I think we have to say that Sheffield United are favourites for that game in terms of the um, the solidity of their team and their formation, the momentum that they've managed to regenerate, which is really impressive in itself because I thought, you know, first season back in the Premier League for a while, they generated all that momentum. I thought it would tail off. And obviously, I've kind of almost adopted them as my second team since I've lived up here for the best part of a year now. Much as oh, I did here with, we go. Much here as I did with Stoke go. City uh, many years ago when I was at university. You know, I can't help it, though. Like I work in a school, so a lot of the kids that I teach are Sheffield United fans. A lot of the people I work with are Sheffield United fans. So I can't help but keep an eye on their results. And, and I'm pleased for them for the, for the and for the city that, that, that they're doing so well. But you look at it as a game of football based on the form of the two sides, based on the capitulation of yesterday, and you would be an idiot to say that Leicester um, are more likely to win it than Sheffield United. They're absolutely not. And our, for, for whatever reason, our belief, self-belief and confidence looks so non-existent at the moment and so fragile that... And and Sheffield United approach every game in the same way, bar one or two games where they've not been at the races and Chris Wilder's come out and said it straight away and they've reacted instantly. Bar those couple of games, they've been in every single game. They approach it with the same sort of fight, the same desire every single game. And you can't say that about Leicester because, you know, Brendan Rodgers keeps talking about, oh, we've had a good half an hour here, we've had a good 45 minutes here, we need to put it together into 90. But... You don't know whether they... Sometimes they start well and tail off, i.e. yesterday. Sometimes they have a pretty bang average first half and, and improve in the second half. Fine. But if we have 
that slow start against Sheffield United on Thursday and they score first, I can see absolutely no way that the Leicester players and Brendan Rodgers will be able to pick themselves up, dust themselves down and go, we can go and win this game. As soon as Sheffield United score the first goal, that's it. In my eyes, that game's lost. And I really hope I'm proven wrong on Thursday because... You know, Kasper Schmeichel's come out and made all the right noises. Okay, we need to put it right. You know, this is a big wake-up call, blah, 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 blah. But we entitled our previous podcast of a couple of weeks ago, Sleepwalking. We needed a big wake-up call then. The, the big wake-up call was the defeat to Norwich. I hate to keep harking back on it about it, but it that was the wake-up call, okay? And the wake-up call should be United, Wolves, Sheffield United, all and Chelsea, all having an upturn in form. There are so many things that should have been wake-up calls. Absolutely weighing up the wall, a 1-0 lead against 19th place Bournemouth, is is surely... We've gone past wake-up calls, have we not? Do you, do you think, Kasper Schmeichel's comments taken on board, do you think there are enough characters, there's enough belief and confidence in that team to go again four days after what just happened and and have that wake-up call and put right the wrongs against Sheffield United? Because right now, I can't see it. I think we have one of those three. I think we have I, I think we have the character, which I know a lot of people might go, hang on, what? what? I think we do have the characters. Um, do we have confidence? No. Do we have belief? No. They're the two things. Um, people say, oh, we, we need characters, we need um, more leaders. Well, you go through the team. There's, there's, it's, it is a young Leicester side. You look at that team who played against Bournemouth, and there was there's some experienced heads on that field. It wasn't the 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 young team that uh, everyone kind of thinks. You look even someone like Iniesta, you know, he's a, he's he's a he's a, an experienced footballer. Um, I mean, let, let, let's kind of let, let's go into optimism corner because it's you know we have been a bit downbeat and absolutely one hundred percent rightfully so. But on on the on the positive side, um. Chelsea, they have some difficult games. Now they play Norwich at home, okay. And I mean, and this is going to be, sound really infuriating because if, if we won, you know, you look at Chelsea now is the team really that we're against, even though United is the team we're going to play against. But Chelsea still have to play Liverpool and Wolves in the final two games of the season, and it is not beyond the wildest dreams of any Leicester fan to imagine that they actually don't get anything from those games at all. And if they do, it might only be, say, just the one win. So it could well be Chelsea who we're battling against for that place. Even if we lose on the final day of the season, it could again be Chelsea in that game. Um, I'm surmising the fact that we're going to win the next two games, for example. Um, Or... And I know we're playing swings and roundabouts here. What happens here and there? But Chelsea will beat Norwich and they'll go four points clear of Leicester. Leicester, they have to beat Sheffield United. We know that. But in optimism corner, they do. So we're still only a point behind them. We travel to Spurs. They travel to Anfield. Now, they lose at Liverpool in this conundrum. Leicester only need then a draw against Tottenham to go above Chelsea going into the final day of the season. Now, if you're above a side, even on goal difference, going into the final day, even even if you're playing the Brazil side from 1970, it doesn't matter. You're still in a 
a good position because you're ahead of them in the league. And then whatever happens in the final 90 minutes happens. So not all hope is lost at all. Um, also, at the end of the game against Bournemouth, did the players and the management say the right things? Yes, Rogers will always say that because he's well rehearsed and gets criticised in, in parts and, and, and the mick taken out of him because, again, of, of his certain sayings and the way he comes across. Uh, but did Schmeichel come up and, 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 and you know, apologise? Yes. Did he also, did they have to say apology to the fans? No, they didn't have to say that. That's the sort of thing when you go and get absolutely annihilated 6-7-0 and you offer to pay the coach fees and all that sort of thing for the away fans. Well, that wasn't kind of the case here. Yes, it was a, a collapse a la England versus the West Indies late on on Saturday evening. But they didn't have to say that, but they did. So were the right things said? Yes. And do you think that they're going to look into themselves and, and realise that they've made a monumental error here and probably come out of the traps very quickly against Sheffield United? Yes. Again, optimism corner is where what we're currently sitting in. So there are signs there that they understand the situation. Of course, they they sounds silly that they wouldn't but at some points when they're playing you, you do fear that again go back to the Brighton game and can they beat Sheffield United of course they can as much as again I've said my piece already about the game Vardy scoring goals um I'd imagine they'll play Kelechi from the start <laughs> because he's going to be absolutely raging I thought Yuri Tillemans has played well in the last few games and he was in control of that game up until Half time when all of a sudden it didn't quite work out because the one thing with Yuri Tillemans is in the middle of the park and we know he's a very good player but he needs players to pass to that might sound the stupidest thing anyone's ever said and most obvious thing but unless you're one of the top players in the world and you can dream a pass from nowhere with no one making any runs you look at that Leicester side there's not a lot of movement there isn't a lot of movement because Apart from maybe Jamie Vardy up top making his runs, which we know about, and also Madison trying to find space every now and again, even though I think he needs to work on that aspect of his game a lot more. There's actually not a lot of movement in that side. But in that first half, maybe because they were playing against a poor side, there were quite a number of easy passes to be made or simple passes or, or people available to, to, to receive the ball. And... Yuri Tillemans found them with great regularity and he had a really good first half. The shape change changed that it, and then all of a sudden he got the ball and there wasn't any options. There was no movement for him and his game suffered. Uh, another reason why you know it was, it was a, a, a very wrong call to, to make at half time. Um, but again, he is playing well. Um, so there is cause for optimism and... They have every ability to go out there and beat Sheffield United. And we're still in this. Again, it's in our hands still. Um, that's my... And also, if we do play away uh, in the uh, in Europa League, it might be nice. You know, we're not going to go to Barcelona, but there's some nice places to go to throughout Europe, possibly. You know, you might be going to some, um, some places you've never heard of, but they could be lovely. It could be fantastic. And we could be looking back on this going, do you know what? This time next season, or maybe halfway through next season, and we're flying high with a few new players, and we're thinking, do you know what? Actually, playing in the Europa League, doing well, and progressing in the league, challenging for the Champions League, 
it might have come a year too early. I mean, I'm shaking my head when I'm saying that because you've got to qualify for the Champions League when you get it. You know, I, I'm not believing what I'm saying there, but I don't know. Maybe that might happen. I don't think it will, but there we go. Yeah, well, Brendan Rodgers has said that was was that performance yesterday, did that show that we were ready for the Champions League? Absolutely not. And he's always maintained, when people have pushed him and said, what was the pre-season goal? He's always said, look, our league position after 38 games will be reflective of the kind of season we've had, which sounds very straightforward and very obvious, but it's very true, you know, because we were halfway through the season looking like, um, you know, second, second, third, we were looking absolutely dead certs for the Champions League and we're all getting very carried away, which is fine. That's what football's there to do. It's there to take you along on the roller coaster and, you know, you, you have the ups and downs with, with the team's fortunes. Um, but when we sat and did our pre-season preview, I, I seem to remember us both saying something like sixth would be a, a relative a, a good season it would show that some progress had been made it would show that we've been mixing it with some of the best and it would give us a solid foundation for next season now am i willing us to finish sixth rather than the fourth absolutely not not a chance um and i agree with your earlier point pete that i think this year qualifying for the champions league will be easier than next year i, I genuinely do i think you'll probably need at least two if not three more victories next season to be in the top four. Um, so right now, this represents an excellent chance for us to, to qualify for the Champions League, and we, and we really should go for that. Uh, just picking up on what you said about Tielemans, I think he benefited from having Perez in between the lines and then two forward players to link up with as well. Now, I do want to talk about the shape Um because we've got an eye on the on the upcoming games, um, and it, it is a talking point I think that we need to discuss. Uh, having Tielemans playing alongside Ndidi in central midfield, we've always said we'd like him to be a bit more free, and I think because he was playing against Bournemouth, he was, and that's fine. Um, Perez looks so much better and more comfortable in a central role; it's unbelievable. Uh, even though he does always do his best on the right hand side, you always get the sense that he's doing his best, but he's not naturally used to picking up good positions out there um and then having two front men it gives you more options to pass forward to which I, t- I it does sound very simple Pete about Yuri Tielemans needing somebody to pass to but when he's got three players ahead of him and not just a a, a, a sort of 15 yard horizontal pass to a fullback when he's actually got players he can find the feet of and some of the interplay in the first half against Bournemouth was excellent and he, he's proven that he can find them and he's willing to play forward passes but the so so those are all good points about the shape the problem with the shape is the is square pegs in round holes really and it's and it's the wing backs you can only play that shape if you've got a fully fit ben chilwell and a fully fit ricardo pereira nobody else can play left wing back mark albrighton is my thoughts on this have been made clear in previous podcasts is a squad player at best for Leicester City now. I'm not being detrimental to anything that he's achieved with the club at all. Um, But when he's that squad player, he comes on for me to shore up the right-hand side of midfield when you're playing at least four across the midfield. He is no way in anybody's mind a left wing-back. James Justin, I think, has had good games. I think he's had not quite so good games, but he skipped the championship, let's remember. He was playing League One football 
um, alongside Jack Stacey of Bournemouth at Luton last season, which I found absolutely incredible and fair play to both of them. But you can't give him that much responsibility. He's just not ready for it in terms of his ability or his mentality in my, uh, from my point of view. So and when you play in a system like that, the wing-backs are crucial. And when you've got two players playing there that are not up to scratch in this league, I'm not blaming them directly, but it, it offsets the balance of the rest of the squad. We have to find a way, and I don't know what the solution is. I'm not a football manager. That's not what I That's not what I do for a living. We have to find a way of getting Vardy and Iheanacho playing together because I think they look good. And the more games they play together, the better they look. Got to find a way of getting Perez in a central position. Um, and that then gives Tielemans the forward passes to be the good player that we know he is. How that fits in, I don't know. But without, let's say Chilwell does come back on Thursday, it's it's up in the air. But without him down the left and Ricardo down the right, you cannot play this formation at all. No, if if Chilwell's not playing, the, the way for me to play would be the obvious play Christian Fuchs in that position or play um, Justin in that position. But Fuchs and, hasn't got the legs to play left wing back. You've got to play him in a back four left back. Well, this is my point. This is my point. If if you could play someone on the right, for example, and then um, Justin or, or, or Fuchs, etc. But obviously Justin's on the other side at the moment because Ricardo's out. Um, that's the obvious thing to do. I don't like it. Okay. Because Christian Fuchs can't get forward. As much as he's a really good player, he can't do that. So at left back, he just becomes your basic left back. And then you play someone in front of him like an Albrighter, for example. You go 4-4-2 and then you have someone alongside Jamie Vardy. Personally, I would quite like Perez actually to play that role. Actually, as a centre forward alongside Vardy. A position he's not really played for Leicester at all when, in theory, that's his best position as actually a, a centre forward, maybe one who does drop slightly deep naturally but is is alongside Jamie Vardy that would be one option that they, they haven't explored, the rest of the side would naturally pick itself um, there is one big question mark and that is at centre half, because we don't have Soyuncu um, Bennett has played, he came on against Crystal Palace and all they were doing is peppering the penalty area with high balls. So it was quite an obvious person to come on, maybe. And he did very well because he's that sort of defender. Um, I thought he, he looked not out of his depth, but his limitations as a footballer were quite well exposed against Arsenal. When if Wes Morgan was playing, um, I would have thought that even though we know Wes inside out, he would have still looked a better footballer in terms of passing, etc. And I think he would have, alongside Soyuncu and also um, Evans, I thought it was probably... A, a whether Again, whether Wes has had a knock, etc. and they played Bennett uh, because he had that game time against Palace. But I thought it was strange how they went to a back three and then in that back three had a player who has hardly played with the other two at all. I thought having... Wes Morgan, who the other two players know very well, it would have been a better fit uh, in that back three. So who's going to play centre-half? I, I mean, we could even be thinking maybe if a, a Fuchs here or they might, might change formation. I don't know. I would like to see it being Morgan. That would be my pick. Um, but we'll wait and see. Uh, it's, it is it is an awkward, awkward thing, awkward situation, because you know how Sheffield United are going to play. 
you know what formation they're going to pick and you know that they're going to be one of the best a balanced sides. I've, I've said that before and, and it is. I, I mean, I'm watching the game now at, at Old Trafford and I think um, Southampton at the moment look really well balanced and they've pinged a few balls from left to right, right to left without really looking because they know players are there and they looked all very comfortable in their pos- in their positions and they don't look exposed in any areas of the field. Everyone's kind of pulling as one. One goes forward and the rest move around, etc. And that's what's going to happen with Sheffield United as well. Leicester at the moment are just not playing in that fashion at all. Yeah, and Sheffield um, United are the best team in the league, in my opinion, at playing wing-backs. If we try to match them in a system that we've not played very much this season without the right personnel, we could get absolutely walked all over. We're at home. We've got the response to make. We need to play the formation that suits the players that we've got available and take the game to them. If we try and match them with wingbacks, we'll get absolutely trounced. Yeah, I, I agree. And, um, and, and that's why I think we should go with um, a 4-4-2 or a, a, an equivalent to a 4-4-2. I think we should have Morgan at the back, okay, if he if he's able to play, and I think we should have the two full-backs with Justin one side and also on the other side Fuchs. That's the way I would go, a flat back four, and then have have the midfield four. Don't try anything, you know, if you're not going to have three and then three further forward, I wouldn't. I would go with the midfield four, and if that's going to be all Brighton on one side and on the other side, again, there's a plethora of options, but that's the way I would go. And then have two up front, and I'll take pick of either Perez or um, or Kelechi. Not both. It would one or the other for me. And say to the players, here's your very solid formation, okay? We're not matching up man for man against Sheffield United. You're at home. Go and play your football, okay? You shouldn't get pulled from pillar to post in terms of positional sense, because it's a very standard formation and a, a way of playing that most of these players have played at Leicester before, etc. And I, I just think that would be a more sensible option and say, look, we, we've got better players. It, again, might sound really simple, but we've got some amazing footballers in our side. Go and show it. Vardy, golden boot, go and get that golden boot. Um, everyone else, play... As if there's 32,000 people in the stadium. It's very easy to turn around and it's something that Brendan Rodgers has already said. Every game is a cup final. That's not the thing to say. Not every game is a cup final because it's only one game and there's only one cup final and that's on Thursday. There's no use looking at the other games. It's This is it. If they don't win this game, they're in massive danger of not playing European football next year. And... I know the players at the moment, they won't care regarding future signings, etc. But this might be, and, and I don't like to think that way, but it might be one of the only chances some of these might have playing European football. You look at, say, Jamie Vardy. I know he's played in, in, the, in the past at Leicester, but if he doesn't play, how many more years has he got? Um, other players who, who maybe are towards the end of their peak years, uh, maybe some of them over the top slightly. They're not going to move to a club who are going to be playing European football if if they stay in the Premier League or or English football, for example. So, you know, that some of them are drinking at last chance saloon, and the whole club is at the moment in terms of qualification. So, 
that's the way I would like to go and, and, and see them approach the game and just play a very sensible, nothing outlandish. I'm not thinking three at the back or anything like that. Um, just a very stable formation and keep it dead simple and just tell them to get out there and play their stuff. And if it's not good enough on the day and Sheffield United turn up and do a number on us because they play really well and Leicester are okay but not quite at it but they're... And, and, and they lose and you put your hands up and go, okay, we just weren't ready. We had a massive run at the start of the season where other teams were failing and we played some fantastic football. Uh, but unfortunately, a few of our star players went down, uh, got injured and the rest of the side couldn't really pick up the pieces and thrown in a few poor results. And, and there you go. And you put your hands up. You don't want it to happen. You don't want them to play like they did against Brighton, which, which was, again, go back and listen to that podcast. And... Um, and you don't want them to capitulate and collapse like they did against Bournemouth. That's inexcusable. It's if they get beaten by the better side on the day, you put your hands up and go, fair play, Sheffield United. There's a very good chance that they could get European football. Um, in in terms of is this going to be a good season or not, um, I've been asked this question more than anything since the, the game against Bournemouth. Um, and you touched on it, Rob. Will... Leicester qualifying for the Europa League be a good season, okay, if they finish in the top six. If they finish outside the top six and don't qualify for Europe, it is a poor season, no no doubt about it. If they qualify for the Europa League, does it overall as a season, um, would it be a poor season? You'd have to say yes, even though at the start of the season that would have been an aim. It doesn't matter, but you were so far inside that top four. And I know circumstance with you know with all that's gone on, but overall, I think it still would be classified as a as a really missed opportunity, and it would be a disappointing end of the season. And overall, as a season, quarterfinals of the cup, semi-finals of the other cup, it would be disappointing. It would be disappointing. Um, uh, there's got to be somewhere in between a good season and a poor season. Uh, last summer. If we if you'd have said right here you go you can fast forward thirty eight games and you finish sixth we'd have gone yes thank you uh, we're off to various corners of Europe for the Europa League and we'll have a good time uh, and we'll hopefully be able to attract a couple of players and say look you can play in European competition we're going in the right direction um, we said uh, I think a phrase I used was knocking as loudly as we can on the door of the top four which in our eyes meant finishing sixth and qualifying for the Europa League as as not an expectation, but but where we would really like to be. Let's be perfectly honest, for a club like Leicester, and, and we're still in this kind of transition towards hopefully becoming a big, big club, then an OK season would have been eighth or ninth, and, and let's be honest, we could end up still finishing eighth, so it could have been an OK-ish season. Uh, a good season is is sixth and above, and a brilliant season is top four. However, that was last summer. If you take into it, if you we'd have done this again at Christmas, for example, you would say it, at Christmas, then Champions League was almost the expectation because of the gap that we had, and you would look at it and think a few rogue results here or there we've still got that comfort, that cushion to be able to maintain top four. So finishing sixth would then become an okay season and finishing any lower than sixth would become 
in in terms of those definitions, a poor season, and that's the sort of dilemma that we're that we're faced with at the moment. And you know, if if Leicester finish below Sheffield United this season, I'm gonna have to lock myself away until the end of next season until we get back above them in the Premier League because you know Sheffield United are on a fairy tale season, and we are we were. The the thing at the moment is, let's say this is a, a Hollywood blockbuster. We're at the bit where it's all gone wrong. What we need in the last three games is the big resolution. Something comes along and saves us. Maybe we're looking for characters and we're looking for a, a response. So Big Wes comes back in and we, Big Wes is our superhero. Wes comes in, keeps three clean sheets, bag, bags a couple of goals from corners and basically single-handedly drags us into the Champions League. We're looking for that kind of moment right now because we are on the the downward kind of spiral and it needs stopping very quickly. My worry is it's needed stopping for a while. Do we need, do we need uh, a Gwendouzi in midfield, Rob? Some, what, someone with a bit of bite? Well, d- that player in particular. <laughs> well, that's... Who knows? It, it's something that we've obviously been linked with. We've been linked with Luka Jovic from Real Madrid, which, you know, if you're looking at signing strikers from Real Madrid, you must be doing something right, however tenuous some of the links are. Um, right now, we need Wes Morgan. No, right, well, maybe. But right now, we do, we do genuinely need those words that the players and the manager came out with last night. We need those to become actions in three days' time. Our our website thinks that we're signing them. Well, it seems to, yeah. <laughs> that was interesting. If no one realises that there was a... Um, if you go on the Leicester City website and you click on a player, um, uh, for some reason, uh, Granduzzi, who had that incident where he uh, he got... Uh, was, he, was he sent off in the end against Brighton? And there was a... He hasn't played since, and he, and there was a... Talking about how much people earn, etc. Um, and all of a sudden, Granduzzi's... Uh, Profile appeared on the Leicester website, so whether that's anything to do with anything, we'll wait and see. Um, yeah, they, they, they've got it wrong, um, haven't they, Leicester, in in in, in recent games? But uh, not as wrong as what I got. Uh, I got it uh, a few what about a week ago or so, um, going on a, 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 a podcast regarding one of our uh, opposition teams. <laughs> Settle in, everybody. This is brilliant. Well. It's quite well known that we go on other podcasts as their Leicester representative, for example. And a lot of them, because it, on Merseyside, they've obviously a huge fan base, etc. And they have the most recognised uh, podcast in English football, in the Anfield rap. Huge. And basically radio stations formed from it, etc. Yeah, absolutely massive and very fortunate to go on and have a great laugh in that. And um, on multiple times throughout the year. And uh, and there's also there's a uh, day trippers as well Liverpool day trippers which was on only a few weeks ago and, and again mention these when when we do the for fox sake and they love the name etc and all that anyway um, through comes a text message oh are you free today or tomorrow whenever it was to do the podcast and and, and all these names I, I I just had the number and um, and I went uh, oh yeah fine no worries so anyway it was um, it was a podcast just like this. But it was done over Zoom, okay, and you know no problem. So I'm talking away, and we're and we're discussing how Leicester are getting on, etc. 
And I kind of go on a big rant about Leicester, as you know, and all this. And, and it's all very good. Talk about football and just what's been going on in the Premier League as well. And then it came to kind of like how what we're going to be doing. I said, oh, you know, I think I think we'll be, um, you know, well done to you guys for winning the league, etc. You know, um, congratulations. You were brilliant when you beat us, what, 4-0 at, at the King Power at Christmas. That Alexander-Arnold goal at the end was... Was was superb and 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 yeah you you you've you've done fantastically well and and I imagine the the celebrations are brilliant and uh, well we're playing Everton next so we'll we'll beat them lot I'm I'm, I'm presume that you lot will be happy with that and yeah we'll we'll, we'll hopefully get something against them but uh, yeah Liverpool being great etc you know being quite um quite well being honest actually just perfectly honest um anyway cheers see you later bye done about quarter of an hour this was in the morning about half nine anyway it gets to five o'clock and all of a sudden the old twitter notifications start coming because they've uploaded the the episode and obviously linked in me onto the the tweets to say pete selby's on from for fox sake etc which is which happens so it's it, it's it's there buzzing along and about two minutes into it i i just take a look at the phone and i realize that it was the blue room of Everton, the podcast I was on. I thought I was on a Liverpool podcast. <laughs> I thought I was on either. I, I just, because I, it's always Liverpool, and I do go on the blue room, but only once a year. And there's me at the end slating Everton because I think I'm on a Liverpool one, so I just kind of like lean in that way, you know. And I just went, oh my God. Like, oh. So I've been on a podcast, Rob. I didn't even know what bloody side I was on, you know. That is, you know, when you first. <laughs> texted me saying that i thought this has got to be a wind-up but when it when i realized it was actually genuine i could not believe it why didn't they stop you because if if it's being recorded and then they're uploading it what seven or eight hours later why wouldn't you just say look mate you do realize you're on an everton podcast here and you would go oh no i'm really sorry um can you ask me that question again and and i'll and i'll be a little bit less um, rude about Everton and complimentary about Liverpool. What they just let you, you let you get on with it, and then said cheers, see you later, and then uploaded. It. Did they upload it in full with all of your anti-Everton, pro-Liverpool stuff on it? Absolutely not. No, because they they were just being polite, you see. And and I realised, oh no, no. I was, I, and first of all, I mean, dead funny. Uh, you know, come on, like which. Name another person who's so stupid that they go on a, a podcast, a, a, a football team's podcast, and you don't realise who and what team it is. <laughs> I mean, who does that? <laughs> like, generally, who does that? But anyway, um, so I sat there and I was like, oh, no, like, really embarrassed, but also, like, really funny. So I just text them going, yeah, you do realise halfway through my conversation I completely forgot that I'm on an Everton podcast and thought I was on the Liverpool and fantastic they just got back straight away and went yeah we kind of realised that halfway through but we just kind of let it go and flow and we edited like the last bit out because you know <laughs> and they were just re- they, they thought it was quite funny as well and I'm like oh sorry about that you know because we were talking about um, it was the day of recording was the day of lockdown in Leicester so we went from football to that fairly quickly and because of that I then lost track because we were talking about kind of serious things and then I lost my train of thought and just came back and started talking about Alexander Arnold and all sorts but <laughs> yeah there you go that, there's a um... absolutely brilliant <laughs> yeah, you, you'll never but, get um, on the blue room again no oh well, well if, if I do the first thing I'll say is like oh 
up, up the reds and they'll all burst out laughing and then <laughs> they'll have to tell the story like they'll have to tell it but but yeah so yeah i've been on an everton podcast with thinking it's a liverpool one. Oh god um yeah there you go that's light in the mood isn't it <laughs> Just a little bit. Shall we Shall we down the mood again by talking about fantasy football? Oh, my God. Um, yeah, go on in, hit that music. Right, the top ten, which very nearly included me until a complete capitulation. But anyway, in tenth place, we have Matt uh, Hatson with Are You Sure?, up into 10th place and he's on uh, 2019 up into 9th place we've got Matthew Arshot Pedro City 2029 points in 8th a non-mover Foistrons Matt uh, Foister with 2032 points 7th place it's Gav Brown with his Saigon Foxes 2054 Uh, another non-mover in 6th it's Ben Payne with Barcelona 2,061 points. Top five, still in fifth place, not moving, is Joe Healy with Fardy Annuals, 2,082 points. And then we have movement in the top four, down into fourth. It's Rogers the Cabin Boy, Daniel McCready, 2,141. Down into third place is Hull Yotta Love, Graham Large, 2,145 points. Up into second, it's Video Killed the Saudio, Alex Ekonomu, with 2,146 points. So five points split in fourth, third, and second. And then out in front, it is Vini Vidi Vardi, Ben Melbourne, on 2,179. So a little bit of a gap then at the top. And it's Ben Melbourne who leads quite an active few weeks because of all of the games. I've had a disaster. At the start, just after our previous podcast, I got up into about 12th, and then I've had an absolute nightmare. I got rid of Sterling, scores a hat-trick. I brought in Maguire, and then he just forgot how to play football, and I'm down in 23rd place. Uh, Still, I'm, what, 7, 8 points, 10 points away from, say, 16. So it's not, you know... It, it can all change. Rob, you're in 26th place, so you've had a bit of a mare as well. Although this week for me is a disaster. And you're on 1,929, so you're 10 points behind me. We're going the wrong way, Rob. We are, but as we speak, I've picked up an extra 15 points tonight as things stand from the Manchester United game. So as things stand, I will be leapfrogging you. Let me just make that that clear um, as this is happening at the moment. Um, I also had a nightmare on my fantasy football because I had uh, Andy Robertson in my team for most of the season uh, but what I really wanted to do was get Bruno Fernandes into my team and the only way I could figure out the finances for that was to offload Andy Robertson for somebody who I, you can normally bank on to get close to keeping a clean sheet Johnny Evans um, and then I brought Bruno Fernandes into my midfield and I really got so close to using an extra transfer you know and paying the four point penalty for it to bring Mikel Antonio on up front. He scored four goals for West Ham. Four goals in one game, and I didn't put him in. All right? Andy Robertson scores for Liverpool. He's been transferred out of my team. Johnny Evans concedes four, minus two, scores an own goal, 
minus two. Honestly, I, I could not have had a more frustrating weekend. The only saving grace is that Martial has scored and assisted and Fernandez has assisted tonight so far. I just need United to put a couple more past Southampton, even though that's detrimental to Leicester's season. You can see where my loyalties lie at the minute. Yeah, it's, it is. it is, And again, just going back to the league table, you know, Man United, it's it's looking, I even know if we win all our games, and it's what I said earlier, then we would go above Manchester United if we win our final three. But it could well be that Chelsea, that it's it, it's so frustrating because you go back to that Brighton game, you look at the previous game, um, even getting maybe a late winner at Arsenal or a point at, at Everton, for example, it, it only only a few more points and we're there you know we're just another win away from being in the top four it's, it is quite ridiculous how how they have fallen you know how they have uh, slipped back and 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 now's not really the and we'll do this at the end of the season but to to look back on the season but also look at the side as a whole and go you you, you look at the any team and go at full pelt at full whack how good are they how good are they when they're playing well at home or, or away? Um, you know, are are they when they're playing good at home, nigh on unbeatable and have a brilliant record? Um, how are they when they play just okay? And then you go back from that. You know, can they win in the Premier League home and away by not being as good as they can be, playing fairly poorly? And then if they're bad, are they really bad? You know, you go through the stages and you kind of match up how how Leicester are, and also then why and how could they improve and we'll do that at the end of the season but at the moment you'd look at it and just go without Ricardo and without Madison and, and, and Chilwell uh, they are half the side half the side missing so it's easy to say but we know on their day Leicester are fantastic but if they're not on it then they are bang average and if they're missing a few players they're even worse than bang average, <laughs> and 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 that's that's how it is, and 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 to be fair, that's pretty much where we are anyway. It's um, I don't think anyone was getting carried away. You can't be carried away by being fourteen points inside the Champions League places. That's not being carried away. That's just looking at the fixture list and going, well, if we throw this away, we've had a pretty monumental collapse thrown in with a very much improved. Manchester United, and you have to take your hat off to them because they've been exceptional since the restart. They really have. Um, and also, if they take fourth place from us, for example, we finish fifth or wherever, and Man U qualify for the Champions League, you would look at it and go, yes, we've thrown it in, really. But you'd have to you know, take your hat off to Manchester United and say, y- you've taken the opportunity. And... At the moment, it looks like they're going to do that and, and more than likely beat us on at the final day and, and and qualify for the Champions League. But And if they do, there you go. But um, we will cross those hurdles when we get there. Notice I've quickly diverted away from the fancy football chat. You, you did brilliantly there. Shall we round off this eternally positive podcast episode with, with a prediction for Thursday night's game, bearing in mind that both of us said without our blue-tinted spectacles on, we did not expect Leicester City to win the game. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick my neck out, and I'm because I can never predict Leicester to lose, never. So I'm gonna say a battling two-two. 
I've said already, I, I think in terms of form, in terms of everything, looking at the game with no blue hat on or blue tinted spectacles, you would look at an away win. If you're a betting person, which well, obviously I am, it, it would be an away win. That's what I presume people will be looking at. If if Leicester win, I can see it being 1-0. And that's the way I can see Leicester winning. Unless it turns into a complete end-to-end basketball game, which I predict towards the end of the season, that's what's going to happen in some games. I thought it might be happening at Old Trafford now, but um, the scoring looks like it stopped fairly early. I think it will happen in some of these games towards the end of the season where it will get crazy, which it does do in normal circumstances. But in these conditions, I think it might be heightened slightly. Um, But in this sense... I don't think it will be. I think it's going to be tight. I think it's going to be very nervy unless there is a really early goal and it just explodes into that that kind of end-to-end game. But I can see it being a 1-0 game. Either side, uh, possibly a mistake, hopefully a flash of brilliance because more than likely, touch wood, that would be from a Vardy or someone on our side. Um, So I I think it's going to be 1-0. Who? Who knows? You've done brilliantly to sit on the fence there. Absolutely brilliantly. You've all you've almost predicted Leicester to lose without letting anybody believe you have. You've done extremely well there. I'm a big fan. Let's push the boat out. Finally, last last comment. The Spurs game. Do you think you can predict it? Well, obviously, we can't predict football scores anyway. But do you think you've got a good chance of predicting it now, or do you think you would need to do so via the powers of social media after we've seen the fallout from the Sheffield United game? I'm more confident about Leicester being able to go to Spurs and winning on the back of a victory against Sheffield United than actually this single game against Sheffield United, if that makes sense. So if we beat Sheffield United, I am fully confident that we can then take that to to Spurs and just take the game to them and beat them. I, I don't think they're anything special whatsoever. But... That depends on Sheffield United because if they don't get the victory against Sheffield United, we're going to get nothing at Spurs. <laughs> that's 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 how it's going to be, isn't it? Um, so yeah, can we win at Spurs? Of course we can. Of course we can. But they need to get a victory against Sheffield United. But because also if we lose, then they won't win another game this season. <laughs> 